everybody? How are you doing? Just got back from, um, we were in Holland and then in Lafayette. We got back last night, late last night, and so I don't know what time it is. But if I fall asleep in the middle of a message, it's not because I thought I was boring. <laughs> I, get, I get paid to have dreams and visions. I never wanted to be a pastor. It's why I went towards the prophetic side of the ministry. Um, I, I felt like before we start tonight, I feel like um, it feels like there's a lot of, uh, uh, let's see, how I could say this, a warfare in the air. It feels like there's a lot of tormenting thoughts and, you know, um, Revelation, book of Revelation says that the enemy accuses us day and night. And um, I, I feel like the warfare is happening in two areas. One, the enemy loves to reduce you and me. He loves to tell you, you're nobody, you're nothing. And I think Eric hit on it today. Like and he's, he was talking about, uh, in a different way, he was talking about, you know, the, the talents that he was a two and that when he has bad days, comparing himself to a one, comparing himself to a five. You know, it's that whole warfare thing that, that comes along and says, you're not as good as so-and-so, and it gets us to compare ourselves to one another. And how many of you know that you're never going to be as good at being someone else as they are at being themselves? So you're never going to win that battle, for sure. And you're never going to be as amazing as Bill. He's right, you know, you've got God... Moses Bill. So I've, I've given up trying on that one. Of course, I'm teasing. But you know that warfare that just goes on in your mind. And also, uh, the other thing is, is that it also creates jealousy with other people. And now, I want to just make a... This isn't my message. This is what I feel like we're supposed to pray to break that thing tonight. The other thing, um, you know, there's those natural things that happen in our life that we... First of all, I feel like as a believer, we have control over all of this in our lives, in our hearts. But uh, I do believe that there are seasons of warfare where the enemy is, tries to be strategic about things. And yes, you need to keep the doors closed, but it can still get pretty intense. And in fact, uh, Paul wrote it like this in Ephesians 6. He says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. And that's after talking to us about being seated in heavenly places and walking in a high call. So he talked about the seated seasons, the walking seasons, and the seasons where we just stand. And so I feel like there's just, um, there's just a bunch of stuff in the air. Maybe it might be jet lag. Because, <laughs> you know, all of us people, especially prophetic people, we can get our own stuff mixed up with with the Lord's stuff too. So, But if that's you, like if you feel like there's just an intense warfare on your mind, would you just stand up right now and feel like we're supposed to specifically... Oh, good. Either you guys are all got caught, caught my jet lag. You know what's cool is misery loves company, so I feel good that even if nothing happens, that at least we're all in the same sinking ship together, you know? The fellowship is all sinking. No, on a serious note, I feel like the Lord wants to just break that thing over us tonight. And um, so if you just stand, and those that are watching by iBethel TV, we, we want to include you in this. Do we have people in the overflow room tonight? Yeah, so just everybody that's here. If, um, if you are one person, if you're sitting uh, next to someone who's standing right now, 
And listen to this second part, and you're living in peace because uh, you reproduce the environment around you that you have within you. So you're able to give away what you have. You're living in peace. You know, if you're someone who's just afraid to stand, then don't stand and pray for these people. We don't want you... You know, we're trying to kill the virus, not extend it. So, but if you have, if you have real peace on you, would you just stand and put your hands specifically on their shoulders? And I'm going to tell you what I want you to pray. Um, okay, I, I want you to specifically, right now, it, it, it doesn't have to be these words, but pray on these lines. I break the power of an accusing spirit in the name of Jesus. Would you just pray those kinds of prayers over them right there? I, I kind of mean more violently than that. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, I'm going to lead you in a minute, but I want you just to... There's real peace settling in the room. Just those of you being prayed for, just take a hold of that. That peace that's settling in the room. I can feel it settling right now in the room in my own mind. is coming to rest. Thank you, Lord. Okay, keep your hands on them. Wind up your prayer and then I want to pray uh, for them, but I want you to keep your hands on them. Lord, we thank you that you haven't given us a spirit of fear, but love, power, and a sound mind. And right now, Lord, we take captive every thought that's been raised up against the knowledge of God. Speculations, thoughts, and lofty things, and we pull them down by the word of God, and we release peace, the peace of God that surpasses all understanding, that guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. And Lord, I, I, we call for the storm right now that's that's swirling in this room, and I think it's probably swirling over, uh, actually over our country right now, but Lord, we just, we speak to that storm, and we say, be silent, be still, be gone, in the name of Jesus. And Lord, I release to every single person the thoughts of God. The thoughts of God, and I, I love this, uh, this saying that Bill shared a long time ago, I've repeated it to myself many times, I can't afford to have a thought in my mind that isn't in his. And any thought that doesn't inspire hope is not from God. And so, Lord, we just, we do, we take those thoughts captive, but we raise up the knowledge of God. We, right now, I want you that are, that are um, being prayed for, that are in the struggle, right now I want you to think of one thing, like a testimony, something God's done for you, Something God is doing in your life. You know, you may have 20 things going wrong. Just think of, okay, what's, the, what, what's one thing that God did in my life? I want you to think of that right now. The testimony, listen, He overcame them. Listen to this. He overcame them by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony and did not love their life unto death. But the blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony. And so I just want you to think of one thing the Lord's done for you in your life. It could be something simple but meaningful to you. And I want you just to meditate on that right now. We're just going to take a minute for you to just think through that thought.
Thank you, Lord. David said, I sought the Lord. He answered me. And listen to this. And he delivered me from all my fears. And I looked looked to him and I was radiant. And I will never be ashamed. Lord, we just, right now, we release that right now. I sought the Lord and he answered me. And when he answered me, he delivered me from all my fears. Thank you, Lord. We just, we released that kind of deliverance right now. That this would be a deliverance night. That people would get free from their fears. Even from their own fears. Even fears that aren't demonically inspired. That are humanly inspired. Lord, we just release people from those fears in Jesus' name. And we thank you that you want to give us a future and a hope. Mm -hmm. I know the thoughts I have. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are not plans of calamity. But they're plans to give you a future and to give you a hope. And we release that over every person in this room and over every person watching by iBethel TV and over every person in, in the overflow rooms and actually every person who will see this later. We just release that right now. That this would be a contagious virus. That there would be no cure for hope. There would be no cure for hope. You'd be so filled with hope, there would be no cure for it. You go to the doctor and say, I don't know how, we do have no cure for this virus. You're just too hopeful. You're, you're just too full of faith. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. All right. You can go ahead and sit down. Is there somebody here in the room, in the room named Marjorie? Or they, I think they call you Marge. Are you, are you, is there anyone in the room with that name? If you could stand up, that'd be great. Some of you are like, I'll, I'll change mine. <laughs> is, it, is it good, something good you have, or something bad? <laughs> Nobody in the room with that? Okay, no problem. Awesome. Well, just grab a hand, and we're going to pray for the message. You know, sometimes the message requires a mess. And sometimes there's some assembly required, you know. So, you never know when I'm going to speak to you in parables. Sometimes I don't think I'm speaking in parables, and people thought it was a parable. So I'm praying, Holy Spirit, (laughs) just make it clear what I want to say and... Not necessarily what I say. We just release grace on people in the name of Jesus. Let us have, let all of us, all y'all, have eyes to see and ears to hear. And a heart to understand. And a willingness to walk it out. In Jesus' name. I, I want to um, talk to you about the valley of dry bones. And um, I wrote this uh, a couple of days ago. It's actually just, um, it's actually just kind of a, a rendition of Ezekiel 37. When Ezekiel entered the Valley of Dry Bones, the outlook was bleak. 
Death hung over the battlefield like a thick, dark cloud. Then suddenly God rocked Ezekiel's world. He asked the prophet a ridiculous question. Can these bones live? The great prophet staggered to comprehend the possible outcome of God's inquiry. Finally, he gathered himself and answered, You know, Lord. The rest of the story, the rest of the story is history. A mighty army emerged from the Valley of Dry Bones as Ezekiel prophesied life into the dusty rubble. Once again, prophetic people stand in the valley of the shadow of death. And once again, God is asking us the same question. Can these bones live? The history of the nations hangs in the balances as we ponder the answer to this profound question. Will we inspire mass funerals of despair, or will we equip a mighty army of light bearers? The world waits in hopeful anticipation as the prophetic people of God stand in the valley of decision. May God commission us to once again rock nations as we gather to seek the King, and may He equip us to see a mighty army rise from the dry bones of global despair, and may we shine the light of hope in a desperate and dying world. How many of you know that story where Ezekiel goes into the valley of dry bones? It was a, a former uh, battlefield where, you know, you can imagine it being something like Gettysburg, where there was once a great battle and where men had died there. And God asked Ezekiel a ridiculous question. Can these, can these bones live? And Ezekiel says to God, <laughs> you know, the right answer is probably not. How many know if God asks you a question, he, he knows the answer? <laughs> and so, you know, I, I, it, can these bones live? Well, Lord, you know, um, is this a metaphor? <laughs> and the Lord says, can these bones live? And the prophet says, finally comes to this conclusion, like, well, you know, Lord. Because the right answer is no. <laughs> the right answer is no. But if you're asking the question, then that inspires me to dream that it's possible that I haven't thought of what you're thinking of. Because what I'm thinking is, no, these bones can't live. And, but because you're asking me the question, it inspires me to think that maybe the answer that seems logical is not the truth. So he says, he says, instead of saying no or yes, he says, well, you know. <laughs> that, that's kind of a cop-out. You know. And the Lord says, I want you to prophesy to the bones. He's like, all right, you know, talk to bones. This is, this, is a, this is a strange idea that we're going to talk to things that are dead. You know, Moses had to speak to a rock. In fact, he got in trouble when he hit the rock instead of spoke to the rock. You know, maybe pet rocks are coming back. In the book of Hebrews, it says that the rock that followed them through the wilderness was Christ. Maybe that's why God got mad when he got hit. <laughs> so the Lord says, I want you to prophesy to the bones. No, I, I don't. It, there, there's there's no commentary on how Ezekiel felt about that. And Ezekiel, he's a pretty weird guy, anyway. Have you read the book of Ezekiel? He said, "I saw the glory of the Lord standing by the river." All right. And then another vision he had. He says, "I saw wheels within wheels." I'm like, good. You know, I, I know some people like that, but most of them are being medicated for their for their condition. And this Ezekiel is having real visions from God. 
And so the Lord says to him, can these bones live? And he says, well, you know. And the Lord says, I want you to prophesy to the bones. And he begins to prophesy in sequence to the bones. The Lord says, prophesy to the bones. And he prophesies to the bones. And prophesies to the sinews. Then prophesied to the flesh. And then finally says, and prophesied to the wind. Or same word, uh, breath. Prophesied to the breath. And you know the story. That what was once a dry graveyard, a boneyard, becomes a mighty army. And then God says, not only is this a mighty army, but this is what I'm going to do in Israel. I'm going to, I'm going to take Israel, who's a, a valley of dry bones. God says, this valley of dry bones you call Israel, I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to speak to them, and I'm going to breathe on them, and I'm going to create what you say is dry bones, and I'm going to, make, I'm going to create a mighty army out of them. And I, I have this, this deepest sense that God is wanting us to have that kind of hope. Like, we look at our nations, and I know, how many of you are not from America, that are just in the room? Oh, where's the Americans? God bless America. I don't mean to be overly patriotic, but... Awesome. Are we, you guys all here legally, right? We're from nations from all over the world, I can see. And, and, you know, um, I, I, we've had the privilege, many of us on the team have had the privilege in the last several years to travel globally. And, you know, we, we're realizing that there is, there's, how many of you know there's a lot of hopelessness out there? And, um, and, you know, we travel places and, you know, we just came back from a couple of countries. And I think that um, there's, there, there's a sense of despair. There's a sense of hopelessness. There's a sense that things are getting worse and worse. And, um, and it's really easy to be infected and affected by that m- mindset. And I'd like to propose to you, first of all, let me just, let's just be real. There are some things that are not going well. So I want, like, I, I want you to understand that. That I know that. That I understand that you know there are things that are going wrong, and that are things that are that are um, getting worse, and that there there are there's all those kind of things. Um, there's also lots of things that are getting better. The kingdom is expanding, the one I live in. The kingdom I'm living in is getting better, and it's expanding. Well, let me say this: the kingdom that I live in doesn't need to get better, but it is expanding. And um, in Isaiah 9, uh, verse 6 and 7, I think uh, the apostle Paul Manwaring wrote this verse, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> Lisi claims near authorship for it. There shall be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. And then it goes on to say, the zeal of the, zeal of the Lord shall accomplish this. And so um, I think it's really easy to get under this spirit where you're looking for what's wrong instead of what's right. And I'm not just talking about being optimistic, by the way. How many know that optimism that isn't based in faith is just a mindset? And I'd rather you be, have a good mindset than, than, be, than be negative, but how many know that optimism that's not rooted in God is just humanism? And so I, I'm not talking about like looking out and, you know, seeing bad things and going, you know, it's all going to work out. I'm talking about seeing the world through the eyes of God 
and having faith for our world. And so I feel strongly like the Lord is asking us a question. Can these bones live? And you know, Ezekiel really was in a valley of dry bones, so I don't think it's a metaphor. But you'll notice that the message, the message of the, the valley of the dry bones was actually... I mean, when, the, when they, that, those dry bones became a mighty army, they actually were a message to Ezekiel. And the message really was, this is what I'm doing in Israel. I'm taking what you say is dry bones, and I am making it a mighty army. In other words, God's saying, I'm going to do what, what you can't do. I am doing the impossible in your nation. And I have the deepest sense that, that God, if God could get people to believe that he actually is more powerful than a $13 trillion debt in our country and immorality and, and, and homosexuality and every other ality. If he, could actually get a, if he could actually convince us that he's bigger than sin, if he could actually convince us of it, we would actually lose the spirit of despair and gain a sense of hope. Because I think that despair is floating in the air of this is bigger than God. This debt is bigger than God. And, and this immorality is bigger than God. And they're pushing God out of our school system. And they're pushing God out of our government. And first of all, I want to tell you something. Like, you can vote God out. But he's not going to leave. He's not going to leave. So, so I, I understand what we mean by that. And, and by the way, I, I'm, I'm totally into, you know, um, we, we, need, we need God in the school system. We need God in government. And I, I understand all that. But do you understand, because I make a rule, no God here. God doesn't go, okay, well. I, I'll listen to the unbelievers instead of the believers who are praying. So sometimes I don't know if we actually believe our own prayers. So some unbeliever, you know, signs a thing and, and they go, we go, well, God, you know, they made a decree. You can't come in here. And God goes, okay. You know, and then he says, you know, pray as it is on earth that it will be in heaven. Oh, is that how, did you get what I just said? I think it says that we're supposed to pray that it would be on earth as it is in heaven. Not that it would be in heaven as it is on earth. So I, I, don't, I don't think, I, I think that we get, we, we, we end up with self-fulfilled prophecies because we're like, God got voted out of school. God can't come to school anymore. The separation of church and state. Well, you can separate the church from the state, but you can't separate God from the people. Now, people like... You shouldn't bring religion into politics. I'm not. I'm bringing Jesus. I can't separate him because he's like with me wherever I go. Just need to leave Jesus out there. <laughs> I don't really know how to do that. I'd like to keep the rules. But, you know, the struggle is he said, I'll always be with you. I'm like, Jesus, you're not supposed to be with me right now. If you could just stay out there, that would work for us all. And I don't bring religion in here. I'm not bringing the mind of Christ. Well, don't bring that. Well, if he took that out, I would, you know. Trust me, you don't want to see the other one I used to have. Right? You feel that way too? You're like. This is an improvement. If you don't like this, you should have seen what it was like before I got this. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I've been brainwashed. <laughs> you should see how dirty it was before I knew Jesus. Uh, anyway, okay, sorry. That was, it sounded better before it came out of my mouth, actually. <laughs> you know, it washed by the water of the word. Rain washed. Okay, I know. I get it. I understand. Anyway. So, um, so I, I think we have a responsibility to begin to see the world the way God sees it. Now, now I'm not just talking about being optimistic. I'm talking about actually asking God what He thinks about that. And, um, and I, I think that God has a very optimistic outlook. See, the only reason you wouldn't have an optimistic outlook is if you thought that God wasn't in charge. <laughs> and I sort of, I'm sorry, this may be controversial, but I th- think He is. I think, God's, I think God's in charge. I think it was about a month ago or something, I woke up in the middle of the night, and, and I, I, I'd like to say God woke me up, and maybe He did, but, but this was my thought when I woke up. I had this instant thought, and I felt like God said to me, if you knew, if you knew how much influence you had with me, you'd pray more. Three o'clock in the morning. If you knew how much influence you had with me, you'd pray more. I'm like, all right, I think I'll... Pray more. And I have actually prayed a lot more. And so when I go someplace, and I go, oh, God, I would change that if I were you. He'd say, well, ask me to. And I'm like, okay, change that. And I feel like I'm releasing like a virus, a hope-filled virus. doesn't always happen immediately. How many of you know the, the, um, the story in Luke 19, where, or Luke 18, where you have the widow and the judge, and she has to continually keep going back? How many of you know persistence is part of the kingdom? How many know perseverance, the fruit of the Spirit? Perseverance. How many know that the devil doesn't have any of the fruits of the Spirit? He's the, he's the judge in Luke 18. You can wear him out. Say, what do I do if he keeps coming? Just keep praying. Keep thanking God. I've done it a hundred times. Do a hundred and one. He doesn't persevere. He's very, he's ADD. He has a attention dad deficit. He's, he hasn't had a dad in so long. I, I want to give you a few verses, though. Maybe you help. Romans uh, thirteen twelve says this. The night is almost gone, and the day is near. The night is almost gone, and the day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. The night is almost gone. That was 2,000 years ago Paul wrote that. The night is almost gone. How many of you know if the night was almost gone when Paul lived? How many of you know it's almost completely gone now? <laughs> John 1.9 There was a true light which, which coming into the world enlightens every man. 1 John 2.8 I love this one. I'm writing a new commandment to you which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The darkness is passing. Listen, what am I trying to do? I'm trying to change your mindset. Like, darkness is getting worse. It was already passing away 2,000 years ago. Like, the, it's the, it, darkness is getting darker. I hear people say, you know, darkness is going to get... In the last days, darkness will get darker and light will get lighter. How can you arise and shine in the midst of darkness and have the darkness remain dark? I, I, I'm no scientist, but... I am logical. How many know that you are the light of the world? 
I love this part. In uh, turn to Numbers chapter 13. Did I run out of time or did you not start the timer? Oh, no timer. Okay. Just whenever. <laughs> wow. I have three messages. I'll put them together. And just. I haven't preached for a while, so. Here. Numbers 13 uh, is a story of the spies that, jo- that Moses sends into the land. How many know you are strangers and aliens? That's in the Bible. First Peter, we are strangers and aliens. And how many know God killed the person in you? And he, it's not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. How many know he's taken over the planet? We embody his spirit. I just thought I'd say that because we just came out for Halloween. <laughs> we are taking over the planet. Aliens are taking over the planet. A spirit came into my life and has a plan. That the kingdoms of this world would become the kingdoms of our God. And then he gave the aliens power to do signs and wonders and miracles and after they do a miracle they go the kingdoms come near you they go what happened to me just came in contact with an alien an alien with a green card (laughs) we have permission to work here you like it my citizenship's in heaven I'm seated in heavenly places with Christ. I just come down here to transform the earth. And when you get it completely transformed, they're going to move the capital from heaven to earth. I can prove all that in the Bible. You know that? People are like, I want to go to heaven. Well, you won't want to when Jesus is here. Because the book of Revelation says... I saw the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. I'm like, oh, what am I going to be doing up there if you're down here? (laughs) It's just some thoughts I haven't come to conclusions with, but I just know this, that wherever he is, that's where I want to be. Like, I don't want to be up there and you're down here. Like, wherever you are, that's where I want to be. But I know that I'm supposed to pray that it be on earth as it is in heaven. And I know that the final frontier is that the new Jerusalem, I saw the new Jerusalem and it was coming down out of heaven as a bride made ready for the bridegroom. That's a good word right there. What does that mean? I, I have no idea. It's just really fun to think about what that means. I don't know why I'm in the wrong chapter, but anyway, that was a good one too. So this is, um, so this is Joshua and Caleb two spies out of the ten and Moses sends them into the promised land and he says go spy out the land and see where we should come up and now how many of you know that he did not ask them to go spy out the land and see if we should take the land how many know that wasn't the question the question is where shall we start not shall we start that was already solved God already said go into the land he didn't tell them where to go into the land, so Joshua said, so Moses said, go into the land, spy it out, figure out where we should start. Ten spies got the wrong question. They thought they were being asked, should we go? 
And they came back and in, in Deuteronomy, no, uh, Numbers, I'm sorry, in Numbers chapter 13, verse 30, and Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, we should, all, we should by all means go up and take possession of the land, and we will surely overtake it. The men who had gone up with him said, we're not able to go up against these people, they're too strong for us. They, and, they, and so they gave the sons of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land which we were, have gone into to spy it out, it is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw, they are great in size. There are also Nephim, the, the sons of Anakin, which they were giants. And we became like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. And we became like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in our sight. How many of you know that your self-esteem determines your worldview? Let me just say that again. Your self-esteem, the way you see yourself, determines the way you see the world. They said, we were like grasshoppers in our sight, and so we were in theirs. How many of you know that when you're small in your sight, you think everyone else sees you that way? This is a good word. How many know that paupers do not disciple nations? Only princes and princesses do. How many know you're a royal priesthood, a holy, listen, you're a royal priesthood, a holy nation? I think that we've been reduced to our level of our identity. We think that we're sinners. How many know you used to be a sinner? When you received Jesus Christ, you became a saint. This is old news for most of us but you became a saint. We just came back from some countries that that's a huge revelation that's still being argued. But how many of you know you're not going to disciple a nation if you feel like you're a slave? And so they said, listen, this, we saw the land flowing with milk and honey, but there's giants in there. They're big people. And when we saw these big people, we felt small. And I know they thought we were small too. And I, I love the next verse in uh, chapter 14. Then all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and all the people wept that night. <laughs> and all the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. S you know, certainly it's got to be someone's fault. There's got to, there's, it's always, look, shoot the leader. When in doubt, fire the coach, shoot the leader, kill the pastor. <laughs> got to be there, got to be someone's fault. And the congregation grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and, the whole con and, the, and they said, You have brought us out here to die in the land of Egypt. Or would we, why don't we just die in the wilderness? Verse 3, Why does the Lord bring us into the land to fall by the sword? Our wives, our little ones, will become like plunder. And we would be better just to return to Egypt. And they said to one another, Let's appoint a leader to return to Egypt. <laughs> I love this. Moses has this response always. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces. <laughs> Moses like, oh. I don't know, maybe it was a God thing. Maybe he's like, maybe he just fainted. Maybe he got slain in the spirit. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces in the presence of the assembly of the congregation of the sons of Israel. I love this. Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of somebody, of those who spied out the land. Well, I'll try if you want. Dude, have you ever seen how they really pronounce? 
these names, like people who actually know Hebrew, you're not pronouncing it right even if you're making fun of me. <laughs> anyway, that guy's dad said, Joshua and Caleb said, who spied out the land, tore their clothes. <laughs> this is funny. Moses and Aaron fall down on their faces. Joshua and Caleb tear their clothes. And they spoke to the congregation of the sons of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to spy out is exceedingly good land. If the Lord is pleased with us, then he will bring us into the land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not fear the people in the land, for they will be our bread. <laughs> they will be as bread to us. Their protection has been removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. But the congregation said, uh, took up stones to stone them. Then the glory of the Lord appeared in the tent of meeting and to all of the sons of Israel. All the congregation said to stone them with stones. Then the glory of the Lord appeared in the tent of meeting and to, and to all... I'm sorry, let me just read this. And then the glory of the Lord appeared in the tent of meeting to all the sons of Israel. <laughs> that's, that's a good meeting right there. Instead of getting stoned, the Lord came. Twelve people all saw the same thing. They processed it totally differently. How many know majorities do not rule? Ten church members came back and said, I, I, you know, I don't think we can take the land. Joshua and Caleb tore their clothes and said, this is a great land, we can take this land, and those giants will be like bread. They'll be, we'll, listen, we'll eat them for breakfast. They will be nothing. The Lord has removed their covering. Now, how many of you know they're talking about people in the Old Covenant? We're talking about demonic powers, principalities and powers. How many of you know that the Antichrist is alive today? There's an Antichrist spirit in our land. But we are not Antichrist. We are pro-Jesus. And how many of you know that being pro-Jesus is more powerful than being anti-Christ? This is a good word, actually. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, Jesus said this, Pray then this way, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. How many of you know Joshua, Caleb, Joshua and Caleb said, They shall be bread to us. And the Lord taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. <laughs> I love this part. How many know that John the Baptist, how many heard of John the Baptist? It says this in chapter 3, verse 1. Now in the days of John the Baptist, the days, I'm sorry, in those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness saying, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. For this is the one who is referred to by Isaiah the prophet when he says, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord and make his path straight. Now John himself had garments of camel's hair and a, and a leather belt around his waist. And his food was locusts and wild honey. How many know that when they went into the land, they saw themselves as grasshoppers? 
as locusts. They saw milk and honey, and the people said, we were like grasshoppers in our sight. And we were like grasshoppers in their sight. What did John the Baptist do? He came to take the crooked ways and make them straight. And take the rough places and make them smooth. He came to prepare the way for, of the Lord. And what did he eat? Why does the Bible talk about his diet if it's not important? He ate locusts. He ate grasshoppers. You're not getting this. He ate what they were afraid of. They said, we were like grasshoppers. He said, I eat those for breakfast. I prepare the way of the Lord. I eat the stuff you are afraid of for breakfast. We were like grasshoppers in our sight. We were like grasshoppers in their sight. John came eating honey. How many know it was the land of what? Milk and honey. Eating honey and locusts. Grasshoppers. What are you afraid of? People are like, well, you know, this, the $13 trillion American debt, God has a lot of money. Well, you don't think debt's bad? I think debt's really bad, but it will be our prey. It will be our food. What, what, what are you afraid of? What is keeping you from believing that God can do anything that he can pour out his spirit well you know you should see what they're teaching in the schools well you should see what they're going to be teaching how do you know that because he has an ever-increasing government and what it's and i'm praying that it would be on earth as it is in heaven and so and i'm like john the baptist preparing the way of the lord the things that the ten spies are afraid of will be our bread how many know that fear is irrational if you believe that God can do anything? <laughs> Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have light, the light of life. In Matthew 5, verse 13, he says, Jesus said this, You're the salt of the earth. If the salt becomes tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled on by the foot of men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone take a light, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket. But they put it on a lampstand and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. How many know that in John 8, he said that he's the light of the world. In Matthew 5, he said, you're the light of the world. You're the light of the world. You're not just reflecting, you're shining. You're not just arise and reflect, you arise and shine. And you're the salt of the earth. How many of you know that in, the, in, the, uh, in Bible days, they would... They didn't have refrigeration, so they would salt their food to preserve it. You can imagine how much salt you would use if you had no refrigeration. So they would salt their food, and then um, they would reuse the salt because they used so much salt. 
And they would taste the salt to see if the salt still tasted salty or if it tasted like fish. If it tasted like fish, they knew that the salt was saturated and it would no longer preserve, you know, if they used, reused it again, it would no longer preserve that food. So they would taste it. And if it, was, if it lost its salty taste and tasted like fish or meat or poultry, whatever they were salting, then they knew that it could no longer preserve whatever it is they were using it to preserve. And so they would take the salt and they would throw it out on the roads and when it would rain it, and, and, and then dry, it would become their pavement. So it was not good for anything except for it to be trampled on, to be walked on. It became their pavement. Their streets were paved with salt. Are you following me? And so Jesus said that you are the light of the world. What does that mean? That means that you are the revelation of the Father. In other words, you tell, you tell the world, you teach the world, you show the world what Jesus thinks about the events of life. And he said, you are the salt of the earth. What's that mean? That means that you are preservation. So you are revelation and preservation. You are, you are what's keeping the world from crumbling. And so the story... Years ago, I, in fact, I wrote this in the book, The Supernatural Ways of Royalty. I, I was reading through the book of Genesis in, in just my devotional time. And one, I, one night I woke up in the middle of the night and the Lord asked me a question. He said, was Lot's wife righteous or wicked? Lot's wife. You know the story of Lot's wife? Remember that they were in Sodom and, and Abraham prayed and the angel took Lot and his wife and carried them out of Sodom and the angel said don't look back and Lot's wife looked back and she became a pillar of salt. Do you remember the whole story? So one night I'm, I had been reading uh, in Genesis that, uh, that story I think it's Genesis 18 and one night I woke up in the middle of the night and the Lord asked me this question was Lot's wife righteous or wicked? Was Lot's wife righteous or wicked? You know, I, I figured out that Thou knowest, Lord, is probably the right answer for any of these kind of questions. Because, you know, I was a youth pastor, so I taught Lot's wife was, was wicked. And if you look back, you know, <laughs> But the Lord's asking me, was Lot's wife righteous or wicked? And I don't think he's saying, like, can you help me figure this out? You know, I, I, don't, I don't think he was like asking me, like, let's reason this out together. Like, I'm still trying to figure out what to do with her. You know, I'm, I... <laughs> was Lot's wife righteous or wicked? I said, well, I, I, don't, I don't know. You know, Lord. He said, what was her name? What was her name? <laughs> um... I hope this isn't like a test to get in. Because I'm not very good at names. He said, what was, the, what was Abraham's wife's name? I said, oh, Sarah. And the Lord said, so she had an identity that was different than Abraham's. Oh, I get it. Lot's wife didn't have a name because her identity was in Lot. Then he said, was Lot righteous or wicked? He didn't seem like he did very well, but, you know, he, remember when the people came to the door because they wanted to have sex with the angels, 
and he wanted, and he was going to give them his daughters. I'm like, <laughs> so those are the thoughts I was having when the Lord said, "Was Lot righteous or wicked?" On on a scale, like in comparison to. But the Bible says that his righteous soul was tormented day and night. So, so I said, well, it says he's righteous. And then the Lord said, why, when, when Lot's wife looked back, why did she turn to salt instead of to dust? Because David wrote, from dust we came and from dust we go. I said, well, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know, this is getting complicated. <laughs> and the Lord said, what is salt? I said, oh, it's a preservative. And that's right. He said, that's right. She didn't look back because she wanted to sin. She looked back because she knew that they were intercessors preserving that, that nation, that city. And when I let go, she couldn't let go. How many know that... It's actually the same thing God said to Abraham. Remember, Abraham said, far be it from the judge of the earth that he would judge the righteous with the wicked. And then, he, tell, then he, begins to, he begins to talk to negotiate with God. God, if there's 50 righteous, do you remember this? Is there, if, if there's 45, if there's 40, if there's 30, and he gets da- God down to, I think, 10, right? How many know that if there was 10 righteous people in Sodom, 10 in Sodom, like the, the, the city that's famous for sin, makes San Francisco look like kindergarten, it's famous for sin in the Bible. Sodomy is still connected to that city. God says, if I had ten righteous people in the old covenant, I would spare the city. How many know God doesn't destroy cities because they are wicked? He destroyed them because he couldn't find enough righteous. How many know they were preserving that city? As long as they were there, God didn't destroy it. And if they could have found eight more, are you with me? And the Lord said, she didn't look back because she wanted to go back to sin. She looked back because she loved the people whom she was preserving. How many know that you're the salt of the earth? But if the salt loses its flavor, it's not good for anything. But to be trampled under the feet of men. How do you know if you stop being salty? Well, you start tasting like the thing you're supposed to be flavoring. How many know when you start judging the people you're supposed to be preserving, you've pretty much lost your flavor? How many know when you're judging the cities you're supposed to be preserving, you've pretty much lost your flavor? What's happened to you? You taste like the fish that you're supposed to be catching. Selah. God said this, I searched for a man among them who would build a wall and stand in the gap before me for the land so that I would, so I would not destroy it. But I found no one. Ezekiel 22.30. This is the old covenant. How many know we live in a new and better covenant? And we have the blood of Jesus. And how many know that He's the light of the world and He didn't die for the church. He died for the world. God so loved the world. He didn't so love the church. He so loved the world. 
And how many know you're not the light of the church? He didn't say, I'm the light of the church and everyone else is going to hell. He said, I'm the light of the world. And he said, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 8, he says, No longer will you say to your brother, Know the Lord, for they shall all know the Lord, from the least to the greatest. How many know that there's... Are you with me? That there is a, there is a time coming. You know, it's the millennium. Oh, I don't believe that. It's going to happen in the millennium. It's the millennium then. Whatever it takes for you to believe it now. I don't care. Like, what would happen if we actually believed? I don't know. That's bad theology. That was not... Grab that. There's a five-second delay. Undelay that. This, all I'm trying to say is, is that we are hope for the nations. We are salt for the nations. We preserve the nations. We can't judge the people we're supposed to be preserving. And we're a revelation of the Father's love for people. Well, there's coming a judgment day. There is, but there's coming an outpouring of the Spirit in which He'll pour His Spirit out on all flesh. And, you, and we will make disciples of all nations. And the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdom of our God. That's in the book. The question is, where do you push that? And most people push it into a time zone that you don't get to take responsibility for and you don't get to actually enjoy. And I want to see my kids enjoy the kingdom come as will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'm almost done. You know, some people, they, they just, they, they, the news is just too good. They're just too good. They just don't want to hope. Like, just like, you know, we're in a place recently where we're talking about hope. And they said, in, you know, the subject was hope. And somebody got up and said, you know, hope is good, but you don't want to get your hopes too high. This is the preacher. I'm like, are you serious? Faith is the conviction of... No. Faith is the conviction of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. How many know if you don't have hope, you don't have faith? Because faith is the conviction of things hoped for. Well, you know, you don't want to get your hopes up because then they could just get smashed. If you don't have hope, you won't have faith. If you won't have faith, you don't have faith. You will have self-fulfilled doomsday prophecies. You will fulfill your own prophecies. Well, things are getting bad. You're talking yourself to death. Listen, it's like the children of Israel circling, you know, the walls of Jericho. What couldn't they do for seven days? Talk. And sometimes, I'm, I'm just as guilty, just get some duct tape. And it's like, you know, life tape. You're not protesting anything. You just write life tape over it. What are you doing? Wearing that at home. <laughs> I'm staying alive. I was talking myself to death. I haven't changed my mind yet, but I just stopped talking. I just... I'm just circling my situation in silence. And on the seventh day, I'm going to pull this tape off and I'm going to say something powerful. Are you with me? Uh, people look for things in the Bible just to be depressed about. Like Ananias and Sapphira. I was in a, in a meeting, this is a few years ago. It was a prophet's meeting. This is the meeting of prophets. <laughs> well, most of them were my friends. Well, before that day, they were my friends. And 
And one of them got up and said, you know, we were supposed to, we had three minutes to share what God, what God put on our hearts. There was like 45 of us in this for three days. I only stayed for two. <sighs> but one of the prophets got up and said, I believe the Lord is saying that if, as it was in the days of Ananias and Sapphira, so shall it be in these days. And, you know, everybody was like, Amen. And, of course, I'm the only guy they're not expecting to amen because they brought me for the exception. Like, this is a happy guy, you know. We've got to bring one happy guy. So they were surprised when I said, Amen. They didn't expect that from me. So they were so surprised, they said, Well, why do you say Amen. We know why the other 44 did, but why did you say amen? I said because all these people in the Old Testament lied. I mean, the New Testament lied. There was thousands and thousands of people who lied from the days that the book of Acts was written, 30 years, and only two people died for it. That's awesome. They looked at me, I was like, let the days of Ananias and Sapphira come back. When most people don't get what they deserve. Listen, it's the truth, right? If, you, if God killed everyone who lied in this room, how many of you would be left? I think it'd just be Eric and I, and I'm not sure about Eric. Raise your hand if you've never told a lie. Yeah, and you were lying. <laughs> and what did they lie over? They lied over how much they sold their property for. How many know the guy who's questioning them? It's Peter. <laughs> this, is, this is like God humor. The guy who's questioning them is the most famous liar in the Bible. Is there a bigger liar, is there a more famous liar in the Bible than Peter? He lied about knowing the Lord three times after the Lord told him, they're going to try you. Watch and pray. And two hours later, two hours, not two days, two hours later, you're one of his disciples. No, I'm not. And he speaks Egyptian so they know that he meant it. You know, he uses some cuss words. A little girl says, aren't you one of them? No way. Blank, 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 blank. <laughs> then a slave girl goes, you were with him. Blank, blank, blank. I was not. The, and the rooster crows. He's the most famous liar in the Bible. And he didn't lie over how much he sold the property for. <laughs> Ladies, come on. You've lied about how much you paid for the dress you're wearing. You would be dead that day, you would be dead. Well, I know you didn't. I hope you didn't. But anyway, and Peter's like, how much did you pay for the property? He's like, you know, sold it for 10,000, said he sold it for five. Peter's like, you didn't lie to me, you lied to the Holy Spirit. I don't think Peter knows he's going to die. Do you? It's Peter. He lied about knowing Jesus and became the head of the church. I don't think he has any idea Ananias is going to die. I think he's trying to reprimand him. And then, boom, he dies. He's like, whoa. 
Yikes! <laughs> Lord, a little mercy going on here. But how many of you know when you see God as the mad judge, you take an exception and build a whole culture out of it? In 30 years, 28 years it took to write the book of Acts. The book of Acts covers 28 years. Two Christians died for lying. Two. And people want to make a whole culture out of it. Well, I think the days of Ananias are coming back. I think they're here. I think God extends mercy to people who don't deserve it. That's how you got here. That's why we let you in. And me? <laughs> Lord, I'm just joking at this moment. I got in through my works. <laughs> Let's be done. <laughs> Seems to be going downhill. What do I do when I see death around me? What do I do when I see a problem? Well, number one, I don't pretend like this isn't really happening. That's, that's stupid. Number two, I don't respond out of my human anger or whatever. What do I do? I ask God, God, what do you think about this? And then I began to say what God says. So when we see shootings, we start prophesying against the spirit of murder. Because we know where that spirit comes from. Because our battle is not against flesh and blood. And then we start to pray, God, what is the root of this? And if it's jealousy, if it's, if it's anger, if it's hatred. And how many know that a lot of these shootings are motivated by kids who... who you know, we're mistreated in school and all that. How many know the answer to that is forgiveness? And so on and so forth. We began to pray and prophesy into our country's situation instead of speaking judgment over it. And we do that with every single thing that we see. You know, you, 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 you watch the news and you go, God, well, what does God think about this? And if you think God thinks we should kill everybody then I think you missed the point. Like, just get the life tape, put it over your mouth, don't talk for a while. Because you're supposed to be preserving the people. Listen, we're preserving the world until Jesus gets a hold of their hearts. So as long as you're here, you are salt. And you are light. Would you stand, please? Well, you know, some people said to me, when I wrote The Supernatural Ways of Royalty, they said, well, how do you know, like, when the Lord's given up on a city? Because remember, Lot and his wife did get carried out by the angels. Well, you know when the Lord's given up on a city when he sends angels to carry you out. But otherwise, the goal is to rush in. 
How, how does the Lord know if he has enough righteous in his city to preserve it? Well, one of the ways is, sometimes I think the Lord prophesies judgment and see who calls for mercy. Remember Moses, Exodus 32? I'm going to kill all these people. Moses is like, that's a bad idea. God goes, okay, I changed my mind. <laughs> I'm going to destroy America. That's a bad idea. I'm here. Okay, I changed my mind. You don't realize how much influence you have with God. None of us do. I, I don't even know how much influence I have with God. But I know it's more than I think I do. So I'm going to pray for you all. Put your hands on your heart. The darkness is fading away and the light is rising. That's what it said. And therefore... Put away darkness and put on the armor of light. Thus, put on the armor of light. This is awesome. This is like Star Wars. So what I want you to do right now is just do this. Just put on your armor of light. Oh, wait. Maybe we should do this first. Maybe we got the old stuff under. Take off darkness. Maybe you got, you got that dark helmet with spikes on. You got to take that off too. Okay? And the underwear, everything. Just take off the... <laughs> take off all the darkness. Okay, now let's put on light. Put it on. I'm just... This is a good word. This is in the Bible. Put on the armor of light. Thank you, Lord, for these glowing reports. <laughs> yeah, I'm prophesying right now. Calling things that are not, as though they are. <laughs> Thank you for these glowing reports of these knights in shining armor, clothed in the armor of light. Lord, we just send out this army that was dry bones, that now rises to be an army of soldiers clothed in light, to bring light into a dark world. And guess what? What you need to do? Show up. Come on. You just need to show up. Listen, you glow. You glow. You're a glower. Just turn to someone next to you and say, you're, you're a glower. We're not, not done praying. Don't. You're glowing. You're, a, you're glowing. You're just, I don't know what to do. Just show up. You're just glowing. Okay, let me finish my prayer. Don't interrupt me. You're not glow worms. You're glow princes and princesses. Come on. You just glow wherever you go. Just glow wherever you go. Don't take the armor off when you go to bed either because then you have bad dreams and stuff. Just keep the armor. You can sleep with it. It fits well. Lord, we just... Thank you that we don't have Saul's armor, but we have the armor of light. And we have weapons of warfare. Like, we love people who hate us. How many of you know if you love your enemies, you destroy your enemies? I'm going to love the hell out of you. That's a good word right there. I received that for myself. <laughs> okay, I'm almost done. So, Lord, 
Lord, we just pray in the name of Jesus that we would have the mind of Christ. That when we go into crisis, we wouldn't be part of the crisis, but we would bring Christ wherever we go. And Lord, I thank you that we're aliens and strangers. That we would take over the planet. You know the Illuminati, they have the secret plan. Jesus is so confident about his plan, he, he put it on, he, he wrote it on a public forum. It's like, this is what I'm going to do, try and stop me. I'm taking over the world. Right here. Right here, right here, right here. This is how I'm going to do it. Taking over the world. Try and stop me. Okay, finish. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Greater is he, say this, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. I'm not alarmed by my opponent. It's a sign of destruction for him, but of salvation for me. Here I come. See me glowing. In Jesus' name.